Hello everyone and welcome to Blended. We are back with yet another open and authentic dive into diversity, inclusion, equality, and all of the issues around it. You've been giving my co-host Madison and I some amazing feedback and we are truly honored to facilitate these conversations for you month after month. Remember that you can catch up on any episodes you might have missed over on letstalksupplychain.com. Just look out for Blended or any other platform where you subscribe to the Blended podcast. And of course, you can share your ideas or experiences, anything you like with us over on social media so we can keep bringing you the most value. So before we dive into today's episode, let's take a moment to learn about our sponsors. Ships. Ships is a new platform bringing neutral bid and ship freight solutions to mid-market shippers, working to simplify the complexity often found in logistics. The Ships platform closes the gaps between shippers and forwarders, creating an accessible and hassle-free supply chain for all. Using insight-driven change, collaboration, and a passion for better business, Ships delivers industry-leading solutions for its customers. Find out more at Ships, S-H-I-P-Z or Z.com. Diversity and inclusion is a core value of Apex Logistics with over 80% minority employed and 42% female executive leadership. Apex understands that celebrating diversity in the workplace is vital and impactful, bringing together a variety of backgrounds and skill sets to create a strong and collaborative culture with highly skilled individuals. Our partnership with Blended emphasizes our commitment to this important principle. Visit us at apexglobe.com. Welcome back to Blended. My co-host Madison is unable to join us today, but I am joined by an amazing new group of supply chain and DEI professionals who are really committed to opening up conversations around diversity, inclusion, community, and they're brimming with excitement and ideas for how we can bring positivity and drive change. And today we're gonna to be taking on social inequality. It's another massive topic, but you should know by now that we're not ones to shy away from a challenge. So we're going to do our best to shine a light on it and give you an entry point to take the conversation further. So welcome to the show, Caitlin, Shamika, Hillary, and Donna. Hi. I am so excited for you all to join us today for this incredible discussion. So let's start with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? And I'm going to start with you, Shamika. All right, I am Shamika Whiteside. I identify as female. My pronouns are she and hers. Um, I am the executive director of Zora's Cradle. Um, in Louisville, Kentucky, we are a maternity-based program that is helping homeless expectant mothers access services. Um, I'm African-American female, 5'8", long walks. That's, <laughs> that's me. Um, that's me. Um, what else? But yeah, I'm a, I'm a mama and a wife and a butcher baker, candlestick maker in the meantime as well. So that is me. <laughs> You make candles? I might need to hit you up I for a while. I feel like I do. They're terrible. Don't, don't, light them. don't light them. Don't light them. Burn your Thank table you. up. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so excited that you're here. Hillary, next. You're next. Hi, my name is Hillary Sandyford. I'm located in Orangeville, Ontario, Canada. I am the owner, operator, and founder of Manpower Trucking, Inc. It is a LTL, uh, this is less than truckload um, business that travels all over North America, 
right now we're focused on Ontario because of the, uh, the whole COVID situation. Um, I have two boys who are my boys forever, but they're men, <laughs> 20 and 23. I identify as female and diverse as well as black. And um, I'm just excited to get this going and talk about the women out there. I deal a lot with, uh, I do motivational speaking as well, life coaching, uh, dealing with women in abuse situations for domestic abuse and, uh, as well as hardships. And uh, me, myself, I have a history of domestic violence. And so I was able to take that, advocate that and put it into a sentence and present it and create a workshop to help women move with purpose. So thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Caitlin. Hey, I am Caitlin Murphy. I am a female Caucasian from St. Louis, Missouri, and I am the founder of Global Gateway Logistics, a global freight forwarding firm that is working to bring transparency and simplicity to the complex world of global shipping. Um, and why we exist is to provide gateways, gateways for advancement um, to people who are in need, who are also um, looking to start a career in logistics. And we also like through our Gateway for Good program, um, it's a philanthropic program where we try to provide gateways to give people access to new opportunities. Awesome. Awesome. I'm so excited that you're here. And last but absolutely not least is <laughs> Donna Jones. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Hi, my name is Donna Jones and I'm an African-American female. Um, I uh, work for a financial uh, advisor. I'm in the finance industry and I have a uh, background in the medical field. I was a nurse for uh, 18 years. And since then I've been in the financial uh, industry and I'm married and I have two beautiful children and six beautiful grandchildren. Wow. And, <laughs> Amazing. and I'm looking forward to retiring in the next three to five years. And I am truly blessed as a child of God. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for being here. And you joined us last minute. So that makes it even more special. And thank you guys all. So let's get started with a definition. Um, what is social inequality? What does it mean to you? I mean, there's a lot of different strands to this. So there's no real definitive right or wrong answers here. We just want the different perspectives as to what social inequality, those words actually mean. So Hillary, I'm going to start with you on this one. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, the whole thing came to my attention when I started going into the uh, supply management chain and realized that only 3% of women uh, were in the trucking industry on the Canadian side and 6.5 on the American side. And I found it very interesting, like here's a particular percent potential for you to be a boss, for you to move with power and there's no entry level. So then I started looking at why, why would this happen? And what I realized was that money was in the way. Money, money is, the, is the reason why these women are able to get in because most of the women that are looking at these field are women that are either living in hardships, women that have, uh, might have it as a passion or women that are single. And to, to get into that industry in Canada, for example, is between $4,000 $4, to $10,000 to get a license. Wow. So, you know, so financial uh, stability, financial entry is, uh, it's a major issue. Um, and then I, as a woman uh, dealing with domestic uh, violence in my past and coming up with that, the shame behind that. 
and mm -hmm. then having to come from that financially when you have been financially crippled. Uh, I find that there's no, there weren't many resources there for that part of the issue of getting back on your feet because a lot of people offer resources, it's great, but it's the shame, one, the financial damage, two, and then having to explain to a bank, <laughs> for example, right. uh, why do I have a bad credit? It has nothing to do with me personally, it has to do with the fact that I was in an abused relationship and this person ran out my credit. Yeah. They, they don't wanna hear this. So there's a lot of different things that get in the way for women that are coming from uh, domestic abuse, women that are coming from uh, social economic uh, uh, issues or hardships. And so I find that there's a lot of barriers that are put in place for those kind of women. So for me, it's financial blockage. Very, very, very well said. And like you said, it's different for a variety of different people, depending on what they've gone through potentially in their past to get them to where they are today, to help them move forward into what they want to be or what they know they yeah. can be. Yes. And so that's one of the things that we're talking about today in social inequality. What are those barriers? How do we get through those barriers? And how can we as you know, potential leaders in our fields reach down and help pull people up because it's not just in, you know, the supply chain industry. It's not just in trucking. There's a variety of industries where mm -hmm. even entry level, you need a master's or whatever. And I just, to me, I just don't think that that's necessary these days, yeah. but it does create a blockage for a lot of people to get into industry and they've got so much to offer. So, yeah. so much to offer. Caitlin, I'm going to go over to you next. What do you, what do you think the definition of social inequality is? Yeah, I mean, I would agree that I think it's barriers to access opportunities um, based on your upbringing, based on the way you look, how much money you have. I mean, there's all these different factors that play into it. Um, but, you know, I, I really believe too, and I'll just echo Hillary that I think in logistics, it's very transparent, supply chain and logistics, that especially women um, and minorities have a really hard time overcoming these barriers to gain access into this industry, not just at an ownership level, but even as an entry level. You know, they, they might be able to get a position entry level, but to rise up the ranks in a company into like a an executive position. You know, I've seen a ton of inequality throughout my career, um, specifically for women and minorities within logistics. And um, and it's really this barrier to um, to access opportunities like, you know, branching out and trying to cross train on a different. It's as simple as like wanting to cross train on a different um, aspect of logistics, like wanting to go from domestic to international. Where is the bridge that that? allows women and minorities to gain that. Yeah. And a lot of the times it has to do, and Sarah, we've talked about this before, um, educational background, I think has a lot to play in social inequality too, where, you know, I take the view that I think logistics and supply chain is an incredible industry that doesn't necessarily need to require a four-year college degree. Mm -hmm. If you have a particular set of skills, that should that should trump, you know, what's on a, a piece of paper, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And I think, you know, um, that's that's really where I've seen a lot of um, inequality is really in, in the business side of things. Um, but I also, you know, I I I've seen that socioeconomic 
areas within other parts of life can really affect someone before they even get to a career. And, you know, um, I, I think that there's so much work that needs to be done in, in the world to overcome a lot of these um, disparities and to really allow a path to success for, um, for diverse individuals. Well, and I think, I think that's a really great point. And something that I want to add on to that is that what has happened in your past and what you've been through creates skills and there's transferable skills from everything that you can utilize and um, bring forth in any you know, industry for any position. And I think sometimes we forget about that, right? Like we've been through a lot. Whoops. We've been through a lot. We, you know, we don't, but we don't really think about the skills that we've learned along the way. So Donna, what do you think the, uh, what do you think about social inequality? Um, well, I have to um, agree with Caitlin um, in terms of, and, and Hillary as well, as a, um, there's a lot of um, obstacles that prevent us from accessing resources. Um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of inequality when it comes to education. Um, lack of access, lack of funding, um, just just um, for me being a black female, um, I see that there's um, uh, that there's a lot of challenges that we have to uh, deal with in this quote unquote male white male world that we live in, and. Um, um, it's and a, a lot of our upbringing, or shall I say my upbringing, um, lack a lot of direction, um, access. I, I didn't know a lot, and I had to uh, learn some things as I was going. As I was going along, I learned a lot of things. But as I've gotten older, I was like, I see the difference between what I was exposed to and what other folks were exposed to. And when I say other ex other folks, I mean people that weren't of color like me. Mm -hmm. I see how things operated differently. And um, I just see how I, so I, it's, a, it's an inequality of the way that we were raised and what we had access to and our resources, as opposed to those of the more the ones of that weren't of minorities is a way I could put it. I got it. It's all good. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm trying <laughs> yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> we, we absolutely do. And I also, and like right now, I work in an office that I'm like the only black person there. Mm. Oh, wow. And I'm saying like, well, why is that? Mm. Where's all the rest of us? Mm -hmm. You know, and I deal and um, I deal in finances and and I'm saying, well, how come we we weren't taught? We don't know all right. of the um, ins and outs and the know-hows and the how come we don't have access to all of the same information that you guys have access to? Mm -hmm. You know, we weren't taught this. Our families weren't taught this. Yeah. And it's just so much that we so inequality. When I say inequality, a lack of. Uh, mm -hmm. Of resources for the less fortunate. Yeah. 
And, no. um, you know, that definitely needs to be um, equaled out. We absolutely need to equal that out. And that's why we're having this conversation on this show is because we need to really learn what, what, where is it lacking? What mm -hmm. is it lacking? And so people that do have those resources and have the ability to help can understand what they can do. Because I find a lot of times some people are like, you know, I really want to help and I want to be part of it and I want to do something. Mm -hmm but I'm just not sure where to start. And so right. I'm hoping that with conversations like this, we can definitely, you know, get that started. Shamika, last but not least, tell us, what do you think social inequality means to you? I, I just feel like there, there are hurdles that have been uh, deliberately put in place to prevent people from thriving. Mm -hmm. um, the resources are there. This is no matter your color, your class, um, your gender. Um, I just feel like they can easily be removed. But I feel like the people in charge don't want them, you know, removed, especially when it comes to women. Um, you know, I, I think that the um, social equality comes out of fear. You know, if I remove all these barriers for women from thriving um, with these different, you know, positions of power, you know, what does that look like? So um, there are things that can be removed. They're just not removed um, at times. But hopefully, you know, we eventually get to a society where that's utopian. And, you know, I'm very big on equity and not equality. You know, it, it's nice to have the same resources, um, you know, at times, you know, I don't, you know, especially with the women that I serve, you know, I, I really want my women, you know, to have a doula. That, that's my big thing. But I don't want you just to give me a doula. I want her to have the same doula that anyone else has. I don't want, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want someone to be like, well, I'm, I'm giving you this because you have something. But yeah, I just want everyone to have the same quality of life that everyone has, not just, yeah. I gave you a book. You want a book? Mm -hmm. This book is raggedy. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just feel like it's, it, I guess in a nutshell, just, yeah, it's just things that have been put in place that can be removed and stopping people from accessing things and thriving. Well, and I think, you know, contributing to that is also big business, right? Mm -hmm. Because big business, if something doesn't sit well with them or is going to make them look bad, even though something shady is happening over here, they'll make it go away. They won't right. bring it to light and they won't bring the people to justice. And so it's mm -hmm. a vicious cycle. I feel um, no matter where you are in the world, when it comes to big business as well, that they're just not helping the situation either. They say sometimes that they are, you know, and they're nice little press releases and, and all that kind of stuff. But realistically, if there's something that's going down that needs to be brought to light and it's not going to make them look good, they're squashing that. And not many people are, are going to know. And those people are still, they might get fired. But nobody's going to know what they did and they're going to go to another organization and do it again. And so that's part of the vicious cycle that I think we also, from a social inequality standpoint, need to, need to when you see it, speak it, let's talk about it, even if it's not in public, but just spreading it around. You know, this is what I experienced. This is what it's like. This is what these people have done. So that everybody, you're sort of planting seeds so that everybody can keep an eye out on, on what's sort of going on. So I think this is a huge topic. I mean, obviously going, going through what social inequality means to each of you. Um, and it wasn't really until I started researching for the show that I realized just how big it is. So social inequality can be classified into different societies, egalitarian, ranked, stratified. There are also different systems within that. And within that, there are different ways your individual status is classified by ascribed and achieved characteristics. So unless you're a sociology major, we, we don't know a lot about this stuff, right? <laughs> But why not? I mean, shouldn't this be something that we talk a lot more about in school? Because ignorance, that 
is just plain, just not knowing is surely holding us back from making progress. So what do you guys think about that? Should we be starting in school? How can we make progress around social inequality? I, I say that, um, yes, it should, it should um, not just start in school. School should be involved, but it should start in the household. Okay. And, and, and um, it should uh, continue in school. And I believe in truth telling. And I know that when I think about the things that I was taught when I was in school, is not really the whole truth. Uh -huh. And truth telling is so important when it comes to um, knowing the facts. Because people who don't know the truth can't make a, a, a logical decision if they don't know the truth. I agree. So um, truth telling to me is, is very important and it should start in the household and then it should, you know, move over to the school. I'm probably going to get some in trouble for this, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, here in, in Canada lately, they were having this situation, you know, the um, realization that uh, Aboriginal people were mm -hmm. unfaired and right. um, they, they found uh bones of children and and babies and different people under our churches and mm. i've worked in the aboriginal community before this has been known yeah. <laughs> and i think that what we have to do as a society we can't go back and change the past but we can be ex we can be accountable mm -hmm. and this is the the I, I don't think anyone expects you to now go and take your whole country and give it back to the aboriginal community um I think that what they're looking for, and I can't speak for them, but I, I'm just thinking as a person of diverse background, you're just looking to say, you know what, this happened. It happened. Not that we just realized it happened yesterday. <laughs> we knew it had to happen because look at the population of the, of the Aboriginal yeah. uh, people of North America. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's happened. Yes, we our ancestors did it. And yes, we have to be accountable and say, you know what? okay, it happened. And that's the problem that we're having. And, you know, we, I saw them band-aiding it and I couldn't tolerate it yep. because I don't want to lower a flag. I don't want to do this. I don't want to change Canada. I want to just say it happened. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that it's that simple and um, don't act shock. It's yeah. not a shocking thing. It's, a known thing because in the history books that we did, the little chapter we had, we had certain chapters that you as a person could just say, okay, well, where did they go to? Or what happened to that group and why we have the reservations? And so to 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 now shift it and make it and band-aid it, I was having a very hard time with that. I have a hard time with that. I have a hard time with the whole, um understanding slavery and what happened there. The mm -hmm. uh the importation of people from different countries. I just have a hard time of people not being accountable and saying it um, happened, right. period. Nine. And that's right. it. And within the home, we can't educate. I, I would love to, to educate in the home, but we all know that kids educate the parents. <laughs> so I think, I think that, you know, we, what do you mean we by have to be that? Explain that. 
It's true. <laughs> the kids educating the parents. <laughs> well, I think they, I think one of the most important things there is that kids are more aware. These they days. are, and they're they very, okay. they're more vocal, right? Yeah. And I think we it's pertinent for us to listen to them because mm-hmm. they have a lot to say and they have a yes. lot to bring to the table. Um, I yes. think one of the things that you you mentioned, Hillary, around the indigenous, which I think is really important, is the fact that everybody who is uncomfortable with this and mm-hmm. doesn't accept it is voicing their opinions on social media. They are sending letters to their local PMs and this is what needs to start happening. But it's not just about them holding themselves accountable and saying, yes, this happened and we did this. It's, we're gonna put in those mental health programs that they need. We are going to give them and make sure every single one of them has clean water because right yes. now they don't. They don't. And that and has been going on for years. For years. And mm-hmm. no grass on the under, I've been on the reservations. Uh, my, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, my friends are, I do have uh, native friends that I consider mm-hmm. brothers and sisters. And you go into the reserves, I'm telling you, some has no grass. Yeah. Like yeah. no grass, no running water, you know, and, and I don't, it's just, there's just so much, you know, um, I used to, uh, work at Native Child and Family Services in Toronto. And I'm telling you, this is back when they, they it was called that. And when you listen to the stories, you know, when you listen to people and how they've been abused, mm-hmm. I can't accept, I didn't know. <laughs> I can't accept it. Yeah. And that's why I'm having such a hard time with it because mm-hmm. y- there are funds that came from the government for these programs that we were running. So you had to know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think I think one word here that we haven't brought up yet around social inequality is trauma. Yes. Is the word yes. trauma. Everybody has trauma. Everybody yes. has trauma from their past and they're all trying to heal themselves. They're all trying mm-hmm. to get through it. You know, and I think once we really sit down and understand where that person is coming from, and that trauma and where do you want to go and what are those transferable skills and what are the skills like you know we really need to start having those conversations and i think you know with what's happening in canada around the indigenous i think people are really starting to wake up and say hey this is not okay let me do what i can to get there so i'm really glad that you brought that up because i think it's it's a really important part of this story shamika did you want to jump in here I, one thing that you mentioned we were mentioning people you know, um, sharing things online is the power of the media. I know that it's great, you know, that we, I, I like when you're mentioning, you know, things at home and things at school, the media is powerful. You know, I mean, growing up, you know, just hearing something like, just say no for my teacher. It's like, yeah, whatever. But if Johnny, you know, Johnny Depp is like, just say no. It's like, oh yeah, I want to say no. So <laughs> I feel like even a lot of these things, I, I, you know, even with some of the social inequalities, media shapes that, you know, from the people that you see in commercials, you know, um, I know that they're trying to be more diverse, you know, um, when it comes to representation with the media. But, you know, sometimes I see um, a car commercial and yes, I'm excited. There's a woman of color, you know, driving the car, but she's not some, she's not a chocolate sister. She doesn't have natural <laughs> hair. Like she, she looks comfortable, but, you know, like yeah. I said, I just feel like things don't always, um, I mean, we're, we're in our way, but I just feel like still the media has such a huge influence in shaping how things could be. Um, 
I mean, I, I see celebrities take a stand all the time on different issues, um, mm-hmm. but then it becomes a, you know, a hashtag, it's trending for about four months, then we move on to the next mm-hmm. day. But yeah, I just felt like there was some consistency in the media with some of these issues. They'd, they'd get better they or go away. So they have the power. They're choosing. Mm-hmm. Caitlin? Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, that's a really good point, Shamika, because I think that, you know, I have two two young children, you know, eight and nine, and a lot of what they're seeing right now is shaped by what what's on TV, what's, you know, what is this, um, what are we doing as parents to really get them outside of this little bubble? And I think that's part of the, a, a bigger issue is that you know, what I find is that starting with children, depending on their socioeconomic background, they could be living in a bubble in a suburb somewhere that is not diversified. And I'll just come out and say, like, that is totally the neighborhood we live in. I wish it was different. I wish that, you know, my children had more like neighbors of color around them. And so what are we going to do as parents to guard against our children living in these bubbles, right? Whether you're at one end of the spectrum or the other, you know, and so what I I really try to do with my children is, um, and like you were saying, Donna, you start at home and then hopefully what you teach your children at home, it bleeds into what they're teaching other children at school who are may may not have parents that want their children to think outside and live outside of this bubble. But with my children, you know, I'm constantly trying to explain that, yes, this is what your neighbors look like. You know, they all look like you. They all talk like you. But guess what? That God made us so different for such a purpose. And we really have to do our part to include all types of people in our daily lives. And so, you know, with my children, it's like, I, I want them to be watching shows with African-American children as the storyline, as the main storyline and the main characters, and they love it. And I think at a, at a young age, children are like sponges. They absorb what you give to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And if you're not giving them these types of, you know, outlets, whether it's entertainment or books or um, even just, just cultural opportunities, like taking them, we have this festival in St. Louis. That's been my favorite festival every year. And it is um, the Festival of Nations. So it's every single nation um, is represented at this particular festival. And it's little things like that that might not seem like a big deal, but to a little eight-year-old's mind, they're Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is what, you know, food from... Kenya tastes like, or these are the clothing. um, This is the clothing that is found in the Middle East. I mean, it's all those types of things that like you really have to kind of branch out of whatever your bubble is and teach your children um, and the ones around you that you love that, hey, this is what this is what we are meant to do. We are meant to be linking arms with brothers and sisters, regardless of race, regardless of gender, background beliefs, and really like pushing forward with kindness. I think at the end of the day, um, a lot of what can be um, overlooked is just the, the kindness that we give to one another. And that kindness can be shown in different ways, just listening to other stories, 
being a, an outlet for help, like immediately, like when Shamika was talking about her, um, her organization, my first thought was how can I help these women? Mm-hmm. You know, not what are their backgrounds? Why are they homeless? Why, why are the, why are they where they're at in life? It's more about what kindness can I show? What, what, um, and like you were saying, Sarah, like what resources can we provide to make an impact? I think we're also tired of talk, right? Every, every yeah. news outlet organization, is just all talk. Yeah. Where's the action and what, what is the action that we all can take? Yeah. And that's something else too, that, that goes back to, um, that brings me to the point that, um, we're all humans. We are all God's children. We are all created equally in mm-hmm. God's image. God loves us. None of us are perfect. Not one soul is perfect. And God loves us all. And if we just try to remember that and love others the way God loves us, then um, we can take that love and uh, and keep it in the center of your heart and express it every time you want to open your mouth or do anything. Remember that love that's inside of you. Mm-hmm. And love is not a feeling is what we have to always remember. Love is not a feeling at all. Love is a verb. It's expressed Hmm. by what you say, how you think, what Mm -hmm. you do. And if we try to love others the way God loves us, even though we aren't lovable creatures, he still loves us. If we could just love others like that, it can make much, it can make a big difference Mm -hmm. and a big impact. And we can teach that to our children and express it to others yeah. and show it. You know what I'm saying? And don't mm-hmm. just talk. Like you said, don't just talk. Do. Do. Yes. SMC. That That's makes right. a difference. That makes a I, difference. I had a situation happen to me a few years back. And I had to get this mom to understand in the moment. And I wanted to do it in front of her child because I wanted her to learn from the kid. <laughs> and that's why I said sometimes the kids are the ones who are teaching you. So I was in the grocery store and this lady, is, this kid came up to me and she did like this. And she said, ooh, did God paint you? Paint you? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And the mom, like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I said, don't do that. Stop. You're about to make the biggest mistake in your life. She just asked if God painted me and he did. And I said, yes, he painted me. She goes, well, I love that color. (laughs) I said, well, thank you very much. You know, and I said to the mom, when a child does that, for you to go to alarm, it would make them think something is wrong. She didn't do anything wrong. She asked a question. I answered the question and it wasn't an offensive question. So you shouldn't act like it was offensive. And I think that's what we have to do is that when people ask or questions that might be uncomfortable for us, instead of reacting, we have to inform is an opportunity to inform. And yes. I, I, you know, I grew up in a very small town where I was it. 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, and so I had to be very careful how I advocated for uh, the people in my culture, you know, and uh, sometimes, sometimes, I mean, I had on braids and one girl, I, I like to mess with people too. <laughs> so I had on braids and she pulled it and my hair quality, it came right off and she started freaking out. She's like, uh-uh. and so I said, oh my God, you, you pulled off my hair, you know, <laughs> and then I, then I educated her after, but you know, I like to mess with people sometimes, but it's a good time to educate when things happen like that and not react yes. all the time because some yeah. other people just don't know. You know. Well, and, and it's, un- it's gotta be uncomfortable on both sides and that's yeah. okay. Right. Yeah. And we've just got to all learn from each other because each yeah. one of us is equally very different and yeah. what you would tolerate versus what I would tolerate versus yeah. what Shamika will tolerate are very, very, very different, Right, but it's in our reaction. That's going yeah. to make the most impact and make the most difference. And one of the things that yeah. you've mentioned was media. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like, you know, a lot with the streaming services like Netflix, there's so Mm -hmm. much great educational stuff on there. Like I have learned so much because I've been intentional about going on to a Netflix or a prime and seeking out some of those movies or some of those documentaries, you know, that educates me on somebody else's upbringing or somebody else's religion or somebody else's ethnicity. And, you know, I think that's really powerful when we not only think about ourselves, but we think about our family and we think about maybe educating our children as well, encouraging them to, you know, watch some of this stuff to really get an understanding. So I think that was, that was great. Um, what I want to do though, is I want to, I want to ask you and you, you don't have to share, but if you are willing to share, I'd like to hear some stories, um, any personal experiences of social inequality, like maybe d- you struggled to access appropriate healthcare <laughs> or, you know, did you grow up in a neighborhood where you had low ass- access to fresh, healthy food? You know, I'm sure there's several here that have maybe come against equality, inequality. And maybe that's, you know, maybe not, that's not you personally, maybe you've seen it happen. Um, but if you have some stories, I'd love for, for any of you to share. I have a story. Okay. <laughs> she stretched it out. <laughs> I went to Temple University and had a racial experience at Temple. There was a person that had the same name as me. And, um, well, I won't go there. I won't tell that story. That was another reason why I left Temple. Okay. (laughs) I was in a class. And there was four Blacks and all the rest were white. And um, we had an Indian professor. And um, it was uh, one of those prerequisite classes where you had to take it before you went on to the next next uh, level. So in this class, um, I was um, we had to take a test, and uh, the white gentleman that was sitting next to me was trying to cheat off of my paper. And I, and I was saying like, no, like I had to study and go through, like I did my studying from, you were supposed to do your study. I did my studying, right? Don't try to get me in trouble. You know, we're going to do our thing. Anyway, make a long story short, when that, now, when that semester was over, that Indian teacher posted the grades 
and you had to go and look and see if you had a P for passing, you know, like that. And there was um, all P's except for, and there were four I's. Those four I's were for incompletes that the Indian gave to the Blacks only. <gasps> yes. What? Yes. And all he passed, all the white, all the whites gave the, the Blacks uh, I's for incompletes. Now, I'm an A student. I complete all my work. I do my work. So I knew I did, that was the incorrect grade. So we took it to the dean and we complained. And we were told that there was nothing that they could do because the uh, Indian teacher had went back home to his country. Oh, wow. So, yes. So was there course, no telephones? I mean, right? I'm telling you what they told us. I'm telling you what they told us. So mm. eventually our eyes, if you, our eyes turned into W's for withdrawals or failures, whatever it is, uh -oh. but we didn't, we didn't, yes, we didn't. And so that was, that was the first time that I experienced a true uh, a racist um, experience. Mm -hmm. wow. And I said to myself, I'm not staying at this school um, where I'm not wasting my time. I'm not wasting my money. I don't like the way I'm being mm -hmm. treated as a person. And so, and then not only that, what I was going to start off telling you was that they had also, Temple had also messed up because it was two students, my name, they had my name, me and another girl. They gave me her um, uh, uh, financial aid package and gave her my financial aid package. And come to find out, she got more than I did. Well, by that time, the money was all spent up by the time they realized it. And they're going to try to tell me I have to pay the money back for their mistake. That was, a, I just had too many experiences at Temple. So that's why I left Temple. But I'm just saying how it was just, it was just so in your face type of racism that I experienced when I went through that. And here the whole time, the white student that was sitting next to me was trying to cheat off my paper. Yeah. Well, and I, I wonder where the advocacy is because when we started this conversation, there was a bunch of us that said resources and resources available. And I believe that advocate advocacy is part of those resources that were lacking because, yeah. you know, if the Dean's not going to help you, then where do you go? Because you your go? only other option is to either stay or leave. And yeah. those aren't options. Well, you yeah. made me, you know what, that story reminded me of something. You used the key word, Sarah, when you were talking about advocacy. Yeah. Sometimes people can say that they're advocating for you uh -huh. and it can be detrimental. And that's my story with race. Mm -hmm. um, years ago, there was something they used to do. I'm very big on civic engagement and outreach and things like that. They used to host this thing called the Cool Conference. Mm -hmm. They would have like different, you go to different, you go to Vanderbilt or you go to um, UPenn or whatever, but they would have student organizers and different people in the community just get together. And there was this woman that was there that was really trying um, to make sure that leaders of color were reflected, you know, at different campuses and different organizations. And I initially didn't speak with her personally, but every time you saw her speaking to someone, the whole face would turn up and they'd walk off. Oh. And I'm like, Maybe your breast stinks. I don't know. They're walking off pretty quickly. Like, what is this? Did you offer her some gum? <laughs> you know what? I, I should have. Well, then they get to this panel where they had 
all different types of people that were leaders um, of different organizations. They had someone from one campus that was from an LGBTQ organization and a women and gender studies and, you know, the black studies team. So they had like all these different leaders just trying to help people that were in the audience kind of strengthen um, their organization. So kind of a Q&A and that girl stands up and she goes, hi, my name is such and such. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. And she goes, and what I've been doing on my campus and trying to do here is going to speak to people about their needs. And she goes, so I go up to the colored kids and I'm like, colored kids, what can I do to help you, you know, with your campus? And they make a face and they walk off. And then I go up to the Chinese people. We later find out we're not Chinese. And I'm like, Chinese people, what can I do to help with your organization? Oh and she goes, God. but I really, really want to help the colored kids. So what can I do to get the colored kids to really realize I'm trying to help them and help their campuses thrive? I don't have any sense. You probably figure that out right away. I'm like, maybe you should stop calling them colored. And someone in the back is like, that's right, sister. And people are just just, She was trying so hard to help without hearing that she's really messing the cause up itself. But that's the biggest thing when it comes to people, whether it's the supply chain or healthcare or no matter what, those that can say that they're advocating for us, are you really in a healthy space? Do you really know, you know, you can't really advocate for me if there's a disconnect there. So right. I need to check on her. Yeah, they walked, yeah. I, I tried to go talk to her and she walked away because I wasn't going to hurt her. I was willing to give her that gum. You're talking okay. <laughs> but yeah, it was just, but there, there's a lot of that. You have people that are saying that they are representatives for all these different organizations, even in society today. And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm for the Me Too, you know, unit. So, you know, just look, let's help these chicks out. And it's like, mm, you know, you got to have something going for a minute. But Why you got to use that, that word? Why yeah. you got to use that word? <laughs> yeah, Shamika. I... But you're not on the train, but. <laughs> yeah. Shamika, I totally agree. I think it's, you know, the marketing and the PR of firms seems to trump the true heart of the organization and exactly. the actions that they're really taking. And um, that that was my story too, as a female in logistics. And, you know, I worked for men my entire career and, you know, they would sort of tout this pro-female, we love to support women in logistics and all of our team is female. Well, when you get down to the guts of it, you realize, well, the males are being paid more. Mm -hmm. The males are being offered direct access to promotions. And, you know, we fight 10 times harder to prove our effort as females um, to really show that, hey, you know, this is what I've provided for the company. Now, where where's my incentive? Where's my bonus? I mean, I have literally been told before, well, why do you need to make more money? Your husband is, is an attorney. And I mean, this is after like, I put the pedal to the metal and said, you know what? I'm not going to go in and ask to be paid the same as a man. I'm going to prove that I can provide more benefit than any of the males here financially on your books. And that should warrant my raise. Mm -hmm. And that didn't even work. And so I think it's like this, this idea of what a lot of companies want to present to the public, that these are our beliefs, here's our core values. None of it, it's a huge disconnect, like you were saying, Shamika, that it's a huge disconnect when you don't put your money where your mouth is. That's right. You know, I think that's, that's probably like one of the biggest issues with 
with across all industries, across all levels and races and genders is the action is not there. And I feel like, you know, we're at a point where we're all screaming like enough is enough, but what actions can we take um, to really move the ball forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like I need like five face palm emojis right now because of what everybody's <laughs> saying because it's just it's mind blowing. I mean, at one point I was told that if I if I got pregnant, I wouldn't be worried about a career anymore. So why would I, why am I, why am I even bothering thinking about my career and my future? So, um, Hillary, I, I'm sure you've got some stories. Oh God. That's why I said, you have a year? Cause man, (laughs) I, and the thing, I'll tell you two quick stories. Uh, one has to do with the supply chain and the other one was, you know, now becoming a, a, a woman, a, a diversity and single mom abused how you're treated treated totally different in society mm-hmm. like completely you know and uh so in the supply chain the funniest story i had was i did this run from jersey all the way to uh to canada to uh st Catharines in canada so when i got there they didn't realize that they need to do offloading and that it was for sephora and you know i had to put the stuff upstairs and whatever so i said i'm not i'm not taking it out that's not my job yeah. <laughs> you know and uh so they got one of their drivers to come and meet my my truck and get him to assist taking it off. Before I had anything to say, this boy looked at me, and I call him a boy because he can't be a man. Mm. He looked at me and said, uh, you sit over there and make some tea. Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> Why is your husband letting you do this? <laughs> I said, oh, me and my dog. Oh, <laughs> I said, so you're going to offload all that and take it upstairs? He said, yeah. I said, hold on. Do you own that truck? He goes, no, I work for them. I said, okay, go ahead. Because <laughs> I'm going to get paid and he's going to get zero. So yeah, I let yeah. him offload all. He was sweating and everything. And the other truckers were like looking, you know, and one guy came over. He goes, you own that, don't you? I said, yep. <laughs> he goes, wow, you got him doing it. your work? <laughs> I said, yep. <laughs> so he came back out. He said, honey darling you should not be doing things like this you should be getting a pedicure that's what you should be doing. i said you know what you're right have a great day bless it <laughs> so i got paid for him doing that offload because there was additional i got 450 dollars just for him offloading that so thank you very much wow. <laughs> i didn't have to break a sweat and and that's you know so you get treated differently as a female uh in as a truck driver in mm. in this business but then when it comes to the other side now i'm talking about the abused woman of color and uh, single mom. Man, I've never experienced, because remember I came from the corporate, I was in the corporate world, I had a husband, I, everything was good and people spoke to me differently. When I became the single mom, oh my God, and the, and the abused woman, and because I had no voice, because one part, the major thing about abuse and people don't realize why you don't leave is the shame mm-hmm. that comes yes. with it. Societal shames you. And they say they don't shame you, but they do. <laughs> okay. You come to the doctor's office, simple thing, simple question, you know, it is just the shame that comes with it. You feel as though that you did something wrong. You always feel mm-hmm. that you're the one that's, that's wrong. And so here I am, you know, I, I didn't have anywhere to go. I end up homeless. I had nothing. And it was me and my boys. Uh, my sister took me in and I, 
I had to go and get assistance. I, I needed assistance. I went on assistance welfare and I had never in my life been spoken down to so much. I, I never been spoken. I, I was treated like I had no education. And Alexa, I didn't, didn't matter. <laughs> I was treated like I had no voice, no presence, like I wasn't even a citizen of this country. I was just spoken down to. People look mm. at me and shun me uh, completely. I had people that were supposed to be my friends and whatever, just kind of pass me by. And now it was more of like, oh my God, it was that kind of reaction. And this is the reaction that a lot of women cannot deal with mm -hmm. because they're looking for support in those moments. Yeah. And, and to, to, be, to be treated like you're less than, less than, they'd rather stay in the home and get abused. And that's why a lot of women don't leave. That's so, true. Yeah, so I, was, I, yeah, go ahead. I was on welfare one time too, and they do, uh, and it was only because I needed it at that particular moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I mean, you're not on there because you want to be on there. No, you don't. You're on there because you have no choice but to be yep. on there. And I remember, and it's, I remember being treated differently um, too. Mm -hmm. um, I went to the dentist one time and um, I was on welfare. And I've been to the dentist years, many years before that without being on welfare. But mm -hmm. just because I was a welfare recipient, I was treated differently. And he, it was a, and it, it was a black doctor too. Mm -hmm. And he just, you know, like treated me like I was a less than. And he just, just, just was like, I'm just going to just take this tooth out. I'm just open your mouth. I'm just going to pull the tooth out. And I'm saying to myself, oh, hold up. Wait a <laughs> Where's the freezing? Right. <laughs> First of all, you need to talk to me. Mm -hmm. and tell me what the problem is and ask for my permission to do to take my tooth out you don't yeah. just just do what you want to do because you think I, i'm just supposed to take it mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. I, i've been to many dentists before i know how the customer supposed is treated. supposed to be treated mm -hmm. you know but that was just because I was on, you know, I was on welfare and they treat, they treat you as less than. Yeah. It's not like, I, like I said, it's, I'm, to me, I'm not less than, I'm just in a particular situation at mm -hmm. this particular time. And I told them, look, I'm, I ain't trying to stay on this. I'm trying to get off of this. Well, this is you the know? thing they don't realize, like, you know, the women that I, I, that I do workshops with, um, I, most of these women are on assistance. They don't want to be on assistance. They're trying mm -hmm. to find a way to get off. Mm -hmm. And but there are these barriers that are put in place for them to get off. So here's one barrier, for example, here in Canada. Okay, go out. We're going to give you all the resources. We're going to help you with some of the money for your rent, some of the money for your rent. Uh, I'm not sure if we're even going to find the rest of the money for your rent. <laughs> and then what after that, it goes to, okay, now go out and um, find a job. Where's the babysitting? Yeah. Who's going to watch my kid? <laughs> who's going to watch the kid? Oh, you got to pay for babysitting. So how am I going to find a job? I don't understand. So it, it's, it's a back and forth. And so I sit in front of these women and I'm trying to help them advocate with purpose because sometimes having purpose can drive you a little bit different direction. Yeah. And, and, and it makes, and it fuels you so that when people say no to you, you, you think yes. And yeah. so that's what I do. I normally just go for the, the purpose because I'll tell you right now, I had this one situation. I was in a room and I was in a program that was supposed to be helping me to become better. And I had an idea because my ex was an uh, engineer. 
So I had an idea based on what I saw him did and I knew it would work. And I had to fight the abused woman's mentality of not saying anything. And I finally spoke up and I said something only to have people in the room who thought they were better than me say, um, you're you're in a program. You don't really have a thought here. They literally said that to me. And it took one lady in the room who said, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. What, what is it you had to say? I want to hear. And I said it. And she goes, wow, that's brilliant. Can you do that? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, you're hired. And that's how I got my first job uh, after the abuse. You know, and <laughs> it's amazing. And I want to point this out. What one person in a room can do mm-hmm. by providing yeah. a safe space mm-hmm. for somebody to speak their truth, to speak their perspective, to speak their thought, to speak their idea. The power, the empowerment that -hmm. comes from just that one person. And so to the audience, what I would say to you out of, if you take one thing from this episode, be that one person in the room that is without bias. Yes. That will allow somebody, regardless of their circumstances, voice their thought, opinion, perspective, or idea. I want to mention her name, Charmaine Brown of the Region Appeal. Thank you very much for getting me back on my feet. I love that. I love, I love that. her. I love that. And and Hillary, your 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 story, like it's just so inspiring. And I think it's important for us to really understand, you know, the bias that there is around circumstances. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's the motivation on a daily basis to get through all those no's and can get, get through all of that, that crap because it's, <laughs> it's, it's not easy. It's absolutely, absolutely not easy. So I really appreciate you guys for, you know, sharing your stories and I want to talk a little bit more on a global level, right? Because especially in supply chain, we're striving to unlock the world and open up more possibilities. We view it as a really good thing, but social theory is saying that actually reducing the distances of time and space and producing a global interaction of cultures, societies, and social roles will actually increase global inequality. So how do you feel about that? Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with it? Does it make you reconsider how you think about you know, not only where you are right now in the world, but also, you know, branching out and having conversations and talking to people around the world. Yeah, I'm a big advocate of global citizenship and in every form, whether it's just an education or you're actually getting on a plane and going to learn and see and feel what other cultures experience every day. I would actually say that For me, um, there are aspects of globalization that have really opened my eyes to social inequalities and and also provided ways for me to overcome that and to be the good, to be that one person in the room. Um, And actually, I'm proud to say, like here at Global Gateway Logistics, um, we hired a Vietnamese woman who is so dynamite. She is like so incredibly talented in so many ways. She was from Vietnam, moved here with her husband. And I tell her all the time, I'm like, I am so happy that I found you and that you found me because, you know, the reality is like, I think for, especially for Americans, we have this way with immigrants where it's like, 
well, you know, there's a language barrier or there's a culture barrier. For me, especially primarily in logistics and supply chain, I'm trying to build the most diverse team, not just with race, but with, you know, gender, but really, um, I want people from all around the world representing our team. And so Trin is from Vietnam. We just hired Ariel, who is from China. And I just want that to keep growing because if we are a global logistics provider, we have to be a global inclusive company. Mm-hmm. And we have to we have to really represent the cultures that we're shipping from, right? Mm-hmm. The majority of what we ship around the world into US and Canada comes from Asia. And if you don't have teams working for you, representing you, building that bridge with companies overseas, you're never going to get there. And then also on that note, um, we can even take a page out of other cultures books through globalization. Like when we start looking at the way Asia treats women in supply chain, a lot of women have top executive positions in Asia in logistics. Mm-hmm. And it, it was like, I was flabbergasted when I moved there to see that the level of leadership at a lot of companies in China were female. And, you know, it was very unique to me to see that. I don't know how, had I not moved there and picked up life and just really immerse myself in that culture, if I would have seen it so clearly. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's that old adage of, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. You know, when you, when you become, um, here I was thinking, oh, I'm this uh, young American female that can speak Mandarin. I'm going to live the rest of my life and be super successful in China. And the reality is like, I fell flat on my face and totally failed. And I could not compete with the level of professionalism at the time that other female um, Chinese females were offering to the workforce. And so it was a really sobering, humble experiment experiment in my life. And I actually think with globalization, Sarah, that, you know, if we can all be a little bit more humble and look at what is working in those other cultures, there's always going to be inequalities. I would say in supply chain in general, there's atrocities around the world in global manufacturing, the, the labor, um, the pay, yes. the hours, the conditions. Mm-hmm. They're all awful experiences that we've heard of. Um, but at the same time, there's also companies that are doing it right and that are getting it right. And so how can we replicate what they're doing um, and really take a, a stronger stance? And so my last note on this topic is, you know, I specifically here in St. Louis, when there was a lot of um, strife in the Middle East a few years ago, and there was just a flood of immig- of female and children um, groups that were immigrating specifically to St. Louis, the first thing I thought of was, wow, what if these women had incredible jobs where they lived before? right? So let's say they were in the Middle East and they were doctors or they ran companies and had these, you know, wonderful lifestyles, but because of war, they're displaced. They're coming here to to America or to Canada and 
they're looking for a safe space, not only for their children and for their children's future, but for themselves, right? They want a path to grow. I think every person wants that path and that access to an opportunity. And so as a business owner, I feel responsible to create those paths as my company continues to grow. How can we create paths for women and for men too, Mm -hmm. um, of minorities that have not been given those access to opportunities? How could we do that and really change, change the world through one life at a time? I love that. And I think, I think if we have more global conversations and we talk about, like you said, what's working and what's not working in different regions, I think it's just going, we're going to be able to make more of an impact, especially in that manufacturing sector, like you were talking about, Caitlin. Um, And I'm glad you brought immigration up. It's actually the next, I I think it's the next episode that we're going to be talking about being an immigrant and immigration and coming to a new country or going to a new country and the biases mm-hmm. around that and what they've gone through. And because we want to shine a light on that too, right? Cause it's not easy. Yeah. I'm from so, Barbados originally. So I know how that feels. Yeah. <laughs> I got yeah. called many things when I first came to, to Canada. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, when it comes to globalization um, that I think uh, there's a little barrier that we have in place is this small uh, businesses. Small businesses want to hire, they want to help, but they don't have the money to help. And the, the programs that are out there seem to be geared more towards the bigger entities that can bring in the immigrants and stuff. But we we want help too. We want to help too. We would love to give jobs, but we don't have those programs are not ca- uh, geared towards the small man. So here we are wanting to help. We want to give yeah. them the spot. We want to offer the positions. I mean, I get people on LinkedIn all the time offering to come and truck drive for me. And I'm like, man, I wish I could. <laughs> I would. But those programs that they're offering in supply management, um, supply chain for uh, different companies to bring truck drivers here, the, the Canadian government have a program now open. Uh, it's not geared to a small, a small man. It's yeah. geared to the bigger company. So I can't help where I want to help. So I think that yeah. that's a barrier that's yeah. blocking, blocking us. Access and it's, funds. And yeah. And it's something I think the government can really step in and help yeah. with. Like yeah. here in Missouri, they just started a program, um, an apprenticeship program where they will actually come in and help a small business run an apprenticeship program. They put, they put all of the, the pillars in place for a program. Nice. And it, again, I'll, I will totally echo that Hillary. I, th- I think you're hundred percent right that if you can take the work out of it for the small business to mm-hmm. wrap their head around how they could provide that access to the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So build an apprenticeship program. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, the ground level work that's needed across the country and across the world. Help the small business yeah. who's more willing, has less obstacles to bring on immigrants and, and minorities to say, okay, we want to give you this opportunity. Let's start with an apprenticeship because you've yeah. had no formal training maybe in this industry. Let's give you that opportunity, shadow us, walk through it. We'll give you that education piece as well. And you're going to get paid for it. Everyone has to get paid for the work that they do. So I do agree too. I think that it, it's now we need to kind of put it back on local governments to mm-hmm. step it up and assist in programs that are going to help promote this to small business and help take the, the legwork out of the um, formality of it. Yeah. 
But I also think taking out the barriers to some of those programs, because I've looked mm -hmm. at some of those programs and there's a bunch oh, of barriers <laughs> and then you don't qualify <laughs> and yeah. then yeah. there's yeah. nothing that you Totally. Exactly. <laughs> but also to acknowledging people's, um, people's um, positioning in their country. I mean, we have people that, you know, I, I work in immigration. <laughs> so we have people that came in as doctors, accountants, this and that. And we were like, well, I'm sorry, your degree's not good enough. Uh, last time I checked, yes. that was the English degree. <laughs> so it is good enough. Be, there needs to be like worldwide standards yeah, yeah. rather yeah. than standards per country. I mean, I, yeah. I, and then we can limit the barriers and then we can, we right. can I can uh, understand like getting certified to, uh, enhance the, like the laws or the different, those little small minor, you know, minor issues or whatever, but to do a complete degree all over again, because you're not in my country. Mm -hmm. I think that's so disrespectful. When I first came to Canada, um, I, I was 10 years old and now in Barbados, you're about to go to high school. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, you're taking an exam and you're going to high school in a year, <laughs> like, or even that year depends on when your birthday falls. And so I, myself, and my brother, we, you know, we're coming here and we got put into the grades based on age. And we've done that work before I started school when I was two years old. You know, and when I say school, I'm not talking about drawing. I'm talking about multiplication, <laughs> school, school. And so, um, you know, they made us take an exam because my mom said that we couldn't, we were, you know, this is below our educational level. And they didn't believe her because right. we were from Barbados. Right. They stuck, put us in a room and they sat us right in front of each teacher to take the test. We got a hundred percent each and they said we cheated. What? And they made us take this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they made us take the test over again and had a panel watch us. Oh my goodness. Go again. Yeah. So then let me ask you a question, you know, before we yeah. I'm gonna ask you this one and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about what people should should leave here with. What can we start to do as employers, as entrepreneurs? I know, Caitlin, you already sort of talked about, you know, for small business and Hillary you talked about small business, you know, but what else can we do as employers, entrepreneurs, maybe even wider in the community to start to make a shift? I'm not saying that this thing is going to change overnight because this no. has been going on for a very long time. So I think we need to be a little bit more realistic, but I think just starting to make a shift and seeing a bit more of an impact, you know, what can people do? What can the community do? What can entrepreneurs, what can, um, employees do? Donna? I say that, um, I say that we need to work on this diversity, uh, aspect of it mm -hmm. and get to, uh, know more about other people about other situations and what they can bring to the table. It goes back to what Caitlin was talking about, you know, because um, I know at where, where I'm currently working at now, I know, like I said, I'm the only black person there. And, um, and somebody told me that they would not give the business to my boss because the company is not diversified. Mm -hmm. So we have to bring in and be more inclusive yeah. so we can learn how to work together, learn from, learn about each other mm -hmm. and learn how to work together so that we can grow together. 
Yeah. Because yeah. if you don't, if you don't get to know and get to learn, then you don't know. And that ignorance is going to cause you to remain stagnant. Yeah, exactly. This and create safe too. spaces. Shamika, yeah. I, I'd love for you to jump in here because you've developed an incredible initiative, you know, and that really makes a difference in your community. So tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about like, was there hurdles to get started? Is there ways that people can do similar things within their community? Absolutely. So the backstory of Zora's Cradle, um, 2014, I graduated with my master's degree from the University of Global. Go Cards. I had to throw that up before I did. <laughs> um, But when I graduated, you know, at that time I had a five-year-old and I was five months pregnant. And, you know, I'm not originally from Kentucky. I'm from Springfield, Illinois. So the plan was, you know what? I kind of don't want to go back to that one horse town. Um, I kind of want to stay in Kentucky. Like I like, I like the people here. I like the vibe. I like the food a lot, <laughs> but you know, I'm going to stay here for a little while. And I was embarrassed because I had a social work degree, but I couldn't find any programs for like women that were expecting, you know, expecting a baby and just to really connect to resources. So there was one like privately owned, um, Christian agency. So I said, oh, I said, well, they only had like six, six beds. Um, I'll go check them out. So I reached out to them. Hey, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. I'm a social worker that cannot find resources. Can I just stay there until, you know, I, mean, I get on my feet. I have a salary position I'm being offered. So I shouldn't be there that long. You know, I just need somewhere so that I don't have to go back home because um, I just accepted this position. Sure. I went there when I was five and a half, um, half months pregnant, but two weeks later when I was six months pregnant, um, I had pain, like really, really bad pain. And at the time, they didn't have a case management program. They didn't have, re like, they didn't really have any resources there. It was really just, you stay there and you can do Bible study and that's pretty much it. Um, I was ignored. I was also the only person of color there. So it's, wow. oh, you're fine, you know, pray on it. No, I'm in a lot of pain. Like I already have a baby. Oh, I know this God. isn't how, my baby's foot shouldn't be coming out. Like, wow. <laughs> like it, I know how this looks. So um in a lot of pain, there was a woman who was a retired nurse, a four foot ten woman, a Caucasian woman, and she happened to be coming by that day just to assist and volunteer. And I told her what was going on, and she goes, "Well, it doesn't hurt to go to triage. Like I'm glaring at them. Like you know, we can take her." She goes, "I'll take you to triage, and when I take you to triage, we'll see what's going on. If not, you know, we'll come back up. It might be something small." Um. She left me out of the car at the hospital at this point. Now I'm on Medicaid because you know I went from. My commercial insurance, I'm waiting on a job, so I got Medicaid while I was waiting. Um, she gets ready to drop the car off. I'm going in there to get checked in, and I'm like, hi, I'm in a lot of pain, sit down, okay? Uh -uh. Um, I sit down, and I'm like, I'm having, like, really, really bad pain, well, let's check. And they quickly put that thing around your belly to see if you have any contractions. Um, oh, you're fine. No, something is really wrong, like, you know, it's like, well, you're, you're fine, but when's your next doctor's appointment? It was kind of like that, and they were about to send me home, so I got up to get ready to walk out the door, and at that point, the woman comes in, and she's like, what are you doing? Oh, they said I was okay. What? Hold on. So she goes, and she goes, what all did you guys do? And she's snapping, and they're like, oh, well, we just checked this. Who's in charge right now? Uh. Oh, um, such and such. That actually happened to be my OBGYN that I was recently assigned. Go get her right now. She goes and, you know, gets my doctor, the doctor comes in, and then she pretty much did what a, a, you know, even though she was a nurse, she did what pretty much a doula would do. She advocated for me, and she's like, something's wrong, and they went, my doctor was like, well, it doesn't hurt to do an old school check, so she reached to see if my cervix was dilated, and her hand didn't go all the way in there, and I'm like, 
are you checking for something else? There's a reason why there are no contractions. The baby's feet are out. So what's going to happen is going to be very quick. I'm going to hit a button and everybody's going to show up. And I was crying because I'm like, my family's not here. Like they're all in Illinois. Like I'm just here trying to get this job. There's no time. So they pushed her legs back in. They pushed a button. Everyone that was anybody came and, you know, they have the person, I'm this person, I'm that person. And then you get the buzz. The person pops up between your legs. Oh, I'm shaming you down there. I'm like, oh, well, hi to you. <laughs> they ended up having to do like this whole, it was so crazy. Just thinking back wow. to it. I'm like, it was, it was just party sitting there at the moment. So I'm looking at the nurse, like, is this really happening? And at the moment, you know, I'm, I'm laughing and it's, then I'm paranoid. I'm like, oh no, like it went from, yay, haha, like, oh, wait, something like is really wrong. So they ended up doing what's called, um, they did an emergency section, but it wasn't a regular C section decision. They had to do a T incision. Um, problem was, I didn't know I was in labor. Um, so I ate a sandwich before I went and they had to do a whole T incision. It's like the shape of a T across my cervix because they had my cervix to get her out. Um, they were like, you know, they, I ate and I was getting sick. So it's like, every time I got sick, the baby would pop out, do a nice little wave and go right back in. They're like, we gotta gotta get her. So she lived, they they got her out. She lived for about three days, but it just, all those barriers just to get someone to listen to me. Now now she's out. Like if you had just looked, we would have had this done, we would have been okay. But the sad part is I went back to the maternity place that I was at and they didn't have an aftercare plan. Like there was no plan Mm. for housing. There's no reprocessing. It was, you can stay here for a little while or whatever. Um, So I'm like, oh, I guess I need to find somewhere to go. And I had an apartment lined up. It wasn't ready for another month. So I stayed in a hotel for about a month. Wow. Um, And um, the nurse was like, I know you don't want to hear this right now, but the milk bank in Indianapolis, Indiana, she goes, they've reached out to us. They are looking for people that want to donate breast milk. I know you might say no, no, I'll continue to donate breast milk. So I donated breast milk for about six months. Um, and one day I went, you know, to do my lab work and all that. And the woman that I was giving the breast milk to, she said, um, by the way, it's been six months. How is your baby? I don't have a baby. Oh. But you've been donating breast milk for six months. And I said, I had all this milk. I have nothing to do with it. You know, I'm not just going to walk around, you know, engorged. I'm donating my milk to help somebody else. So, and so in spite of something, you know, bad happening, you still want to help somebody else. Yes. How gratifying. I'm like, you know what? It is. So for years, I ended up, you know, anyone who would listen, hey, we need like a maternity, like a true maternity program, not just some house and two nuns, like a true program with yeah. people that look like everyone, black, white, Puerto Rican. I mean, like really so everyone is comfortable connecting with doula supports, connecting with, you know, life skills training, connecting to jobs, transportation, you name it. I just wanted to be a one-stop shop and did that for years and kind of got people that were interested and a lot of those people comprised my board but new year's day i'm like i'm just gonna try something so i created a wix website and i posted it online like my goal i said you know my new year's resolution is to really just focus on this so i said so in three years you know we'll have this program and it was a groundswell so within two weeks um apparently someone that i've been bowling with for years um has housing vouchers. I'm like, I didn't even know you were over that program. <laughs> like, we've been eating chicken wings and bowling for years and you you do this. So she reached out to me, um, different attorney-based agencies, you know, people donated furniture. It really, when I say within 45 days, we had so many resources. It was amazing. Wow. I'm like, man, if I had, and that's why it's the power of media. Again, you know, the moment I put it out there, mm-hmm. everyone heard it. And then we started to move versus me just going from place to place. But um we have about 23 beds. 
We have, um, I want to say, how many girls do we have? We have 17 girls we've interviewed. So the 17 girls that we've interviewed, um, most of them have small children, but yeah, it's the same story. I'm homeless. Um, you know, I'm homeless or my mother has thrown me out or I'm in a domestic violence situation and I need housing. Um, you know, just really make sure we connect. So our goal overall, because as you know, most insurance insurance doesn't cover doulas and all those things. And just going into the whole outcomes piece, you know, since 1983, maternal morbidity has doubled and it has never gone down. And people don't talk wow. about that. Sometimes people go in the hospital and someone doesn't come out. Like sometimes the mama doesn't come out. Sometimes yeah. the baby doesn't come out. People just have this, oh, you're pregnant. Like they, there might be some other things going on. So hopefully with our program, our goal is to like marriage, that do a marriage with evidence-based practice and policy. I want to show if you add a doula, if you add people that look like the person that we're serving, if you offer case management, if you offer therapy, if you offer even just a place to stay, you know, somewhere to stay. And, you know, we yeah. have house moms that are coming in from the community that are cooking and cleaning and helping these women. But was to demonstrate if you put these things in place, basic things, these women can thrive and contribute to society and engage into in different sustainability, you know, help with recycling. You know, I just like some of these things are so simple people yeah. can thrive but i hope that you know over time insurance companies and other people see this and then recognize the importance of these things so they become the norm like i just oh, don't think wow. that a woman should go into a hospital and you know not, not and that's the thing, the thing too a lot of the women that we are serving currently this is where the disparities come in some of the reasons are because people aren't truly informing them of what their their concerns are i had a young woman who kept describing all these symptoms. And I said, well, what does your doctor, she was like, what does your doctor say? Oh, they just gave me these meds. Well, what are these meds for? She couldn't tell me. And then of course, with the beauty of our doulas and so on and so forth, she has something called Moya Moya disease. I didn't know what it was. And we're all learning about it at the same time, but it was just interesting how she just going through the system, doesn't know all these basic things yeah. because people aren't telling her. They just yeah. figure, oh, well, you're just some, you know, some 16 year old, I don't have to tell you, doesn't have a family. But yeah, our, our goal is to put simple things in place so that these numbers can go down. And we just hope that others will see what we're doing and replicate it. You know, the hardest yeah. part is being like one of the few people that's doing this. It's like, yay, we're the only ones doing this right now. Sometimes <laughs> it's like, oh my God, we're the only ones doing this. We don't have anyone to turn to to look. But I hope that, you know, people realize this is an issue. And over time, this is a norm. Like you go to different states and countries and there is somewhere for someone to go that, you know, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't look like, you know, the nuns, the sounds of music, you know, I mean, like, yeah. it's comfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You go in and you get everything you need. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of the services we provide are low cost to free. So Shamika, years ago. Oh my God. Shamika, what would have been a blessing. Yeah. What an incredible story. And thank you so much for sharing. And it just goes Beautiful. to show what you can do, you know, when it comes to social inequality in a variety of different ways. Mm -hmm. And how people can come together around you to really help make it make it happen. So if you have Absolutely. an idea and you want to do it, just put it into action. So I hate to wind down this conversation because I think this has been amazing. You guys are all powerhouse women. And I'm so thankful for you guys for saying yes to coming on Blended and sharing your stories and perspectives. So what's one thing that you'd like the audience to leave this conversation with? Caitlin, I'm going to start with you. Never underestimate the power of education Love in that. any, any way, shape or form, keep educating people, keep, you know, if you, um, if you really educate at the right time in front of the right people, it can change their lives. It can spark 
a desire to do something they never thought they could do. Um, and it can provide hope. It can provide a lot of hope and peace and a path to success. I love that. Thank you. Donna, what's one thing people should leave this conversation with? I say to learn to love others the way God loves you. I love that. I love that. Unconditional, unconditional. So good. So good. Shamika. Um, I would say that equity is possible if we all do the work. We have the manpower. Let's start the conversation. <laughs> love it. Hillary, last but not least. Okay. So, you know, I always live with that whole model I have online, uh, you know, living with accepting your flaws as your, your best assets. But I'm going to go with this other one. And uh, when it comes to diversity and inclusivity, ask. That's the only way to understand because you can't advocate for others you don't understand. I love that. Wow. Wow. Such power in those words. We should I mean, all be running for government. That's it. Yes, that's it. Presidents. <laughs> soon, soon. I will be your biggest supporter. Well, thank you so much to Caitlin, Tamika, Hillary, and Donna for joining me today. Some of it has been really tough to talk about, but shying away from these kinds of conversations is what keeps the societal structures that lead to inequality in place. So we need to tackle it head on, collaborate together and figure out how we can start to enact change. And the more of us doing that, the quicker we can make an impact. As always, if the show resonated with you as listeners or you have an experience that you'd like to share, let us know on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Clubhouse, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and even TikTok. So we do really encourage you to help us keep the conversation going. And thanks again to our sponsors, Ships and Apex, for helping to make the show happen. We really appreciate you and everything you do for us. And don't forget to join us next time for episode 12 of Blended, where we'll be tackling more key issues around diversity and equality with honesty, humor, and most importantly, passion. Thank you, everybody, for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank 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 you. Thank